This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Good morning. Isn't that a great way to intro into a sermon? I mean, just seeing people baptized, isn't that just amazing? Thank you, Jesus. That wasn't all. There were a few weeks earlier that I was uh, out at the lake and actually get to baptize three young girls. And I think we have a few pictures of those. If you would go ahead and just throw those up. These three young women, I talked to them and they understood what it meant to be baptized. And we got out there in the lake. Even though I'm wearing the same clothes, that was not the same day. I have more than one shirt and I have a washing machine and a dryer. And uh, it was an honor and privilege to get to baptize those ladies out there. And they were troopers because the water was a little chilly, and I was real proud of them for doing that. So once again, can we just give everybody a hand who got baptized just over the past few weeks? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I'll tell you what, that, um, last week, if you missed the message, I encourage you to please go online and go listen at WGCC.com because it was just one of these messages that uh, gripped my heart just as much as when I was uh, preaching as I know it did those that were here. Um, we talked about being family, and we talked about the difference between the two different tables of looking at uh, coming to church and being a part of the church as a family or being a part of the church in the mind of a consumer. And uh, it was so funny this week. I even would see people throughout uh, the week, maybe uh, like uh, one guy I saw at uh, Walmart, and as we were behind him in line, he said, to, you know, well, Pastor, you're going to buy my groceries. And I said, well, why would I do that? Well, he said we were family the other day. So, you know, but that's good. That actually blesses me to hear little things like that because, you know, it lets me know that it's resonating in our hearts. And I've been hearing it all week and, and got some wonderful emails and Facebook messages and different things like that. And, and it's just real encouraging for us to enter into this series talking about real life, understanding that we are family, we're connected to one another in our forever family as a part of the kingdom of God. So we're going to continue on that series, Real Life, this morning. And the title of my message this morning is Addicted. So I want you to write that word down if you're taking notes, or you can always follow along on version if you have uh, your mobile device with you and you have that uh, version app. Just go and look for the live portion on that, and you can follow along with the sermon as well. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you for everyone that's here I pray you would help us to understand your truth in a way that it could be applicable in our lives. I pray, Father, you'll help me to articulate it in a way that will be concise and powerful in the way that you would desire for it to be communicated. And beyond that, I pray that your Holy Spirit does what only you can do. And that's help that word sane through the filter of every person's individual life and circumstance. And I pray that this word will be found applicable and relevant to every person in this place. And I thank you, God, it's going to change us from the inside out and it will change those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to start off with this question as we talk about addicted. Who or what are you addicted to? And let me ask it like this. Who or what are you serving? You remember Bob Dylan had a song years back. says, you might serve the devil. You might serve the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Anybody remember that song? No. Skipped a generation, I guess. Since that was totally my generation, right. Well, anyway, anyways, uh, that song is basically saying you're going to have to serve somebody because here's the thing. We were all created for worship. That's why we were created. You were created for worship. I was created for worship. And that means that everyone in here 
whether you're a believer or a non-believer, whether this is your first time in church in your entire life, everyone is worshiping something because we were all created for worship. The thing is, is that we choose who it is that we serve. We choose who it is that we worship. I found this great definition of the word addiction. It simply says this, something you cannot seem to stop that has great power over you. In this way, it has become self-selected enslavement to an idol. You know, we hear a word like slave and we think, you know, well, we're not slaves anymore. We're free, especially those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's true. We're not slaves anymore to sin. And, and we don't even think about slavery in the terms that maybe we would have thought about it uh, in, in the days of slavery. And so we think, well, I'm not really a slave. So, so what, does this, what does this mean? You've you got to understand something about a slave. A slave had no choice in the matter. They were taken into captivity and forced to do something. When we think about addiction and we think about different addictions in our lives and things that we've allowed to have power over us, addiction is really self-selected slavery. In other words, it's something that I've chosen and I have allowed in my life that has control and power over me in a certain area of my life. Whether that be I'm addicted to anger, I'm addicted to food, I'm addicted to power, I'm addicted to alcohol, I'm addicted to television, I'm addicted to laziness, I'm addicted to sex, I'm addicted to lust, I'm addicted to my job, I'm addicted to being, uh, the, having to have this, this, this need to be needed all of the time. I'm addicted to other people's opinions about me. I'm addicted to nicotine. I'm addicted to drugs, maybe uh, both illegal drugs or prescription medicine. I'm addicted to having to have a certain status and self-image in the community. But you have to understand, this is something that wasn't forced upon us. No one forced addiction upon you. It is something that we choose. And we actually, by our own choice choose to be in bondage and enslaved to these things. Even though Christ has said, He who the Son has set free is free, what? Indeed. And the Bible goes on to talk about the kind of freedom that Christ gives. But oftentimes in the life of believers, we, even after Christ and after we've been made free, we will still self-select things in our lives that put us into bondage. But our culture would want to define addiction as a disease. Our culture would want to say, if you're a drug addict, you have a disease. If you're an alcoholic, you have a disease. If you're a shopaholic, you definitely have a disease. <laughs> and our culture would want to tell us, you're full of diseases. So here's the thing. When we look at addiction as a disease, we begin to victimize ourselves, and we never get to the core issue. We always look at ourselves as a victim and not someone who made decisions or began to go down a certain path that we allowed something to have power over us. Maybe it was even something that at one time was enjoyable, something you actually liked doing, something that may have not necessarily in and of itself been sinful, but because it became an idol and it became an addiction, we now become in bondage and we become enslaved to it. 
And it's no longer about the pleasure of it anymore or the fun of it anymore. It's actually about the mastery or the control. And it becomes something that we feel like we have a need for in our lives. You see, when we look at addiction as a disease, we will say things like this instead of dealing with the core issue. We'll say, oh, it's not really your fault. You need to work harder to do better. You need to work harder to do better because you need to learn your triggers so you can better manage this. And we never really offer true freedom when we speak that. We're just offering an option or an alternative to try to manage behavior or to try to manage or try to suppress whatever it is that we have allowed to have power and control over our lives. So what we'll say is, if you will exclude yourself from all of the things that will cause your senses to desire this or to do this, and then all of a sudden it's going to fix you and you can manage that behavior. How many times, though, when we approach addiction in that manner, have we seen when we try to control and master our addiction that we may get it under what seems like control, but we only substitute that addiction for another one? Maybe we were addicted to nicotine, for instance, and we wanted to beat that habit because we didn't like the effects that it had on our body, and it had mastered us. We got to the place to where it was ruining our health. It was ruining ourselves financially because we felt obligated to go and buy all of this stuff every time we got a paycheck, and we had to have it, and we would be angry and violent towards people if we didn't have it. And so we were in bondage to nicotine, and we said, okay, I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop chewing tobacco or whatever the case may be. You know, I'm going to stop doing this. I don't want to need this anymore in my life. And we try to master that and control it, but yet we substitute that addiction for another one. Next thing you know, now we're binge eaters all of a sudden because I'm hungry all the time and I've got to find something else to satisfy the need. So it's not just about me trying to control addiction and master addiction because we, didn't, we shouldn't look at it as a disease because when we do that, we're trying to become our own savior. And when you try to become your own savior, you always set yourself up for failure. Every time. Because we can't save ourselves. We needed someone to save us that was perfect, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. Here's the thing. Addiction isn't a disease. It's a worship disorder. Addiction isn't a disease, it's a worship disorder because we try to manage a disease and we'll try to use the Bible as a tool to manage disease but the Bible is not a tool to manage disease. It's for us to learn how great and awesome God is because the Bible is actually a narrative that teaches us how amazing God is so we can learn how to truly worship Him. It's not a book that tries to teach us how to manage our issues so we can all become better people and we all have this framework of what better people looks like. That's not what the Bible is. It's not an instruction manual on how to be Mr. Rogers. But a lot of times we approach the scripture as nothing more than a self-help manual on how to make my life better and enhance it while I'm here on this earth. And then when I die, I hope that I make heaven if I got everything right. And folks, that's not what the word of God is. The Bible is a narrative of how 
awesome God is, of how faithful He is, of how true He is, of His promises, of exactly what He's done and how He's responded to mankind throughout history. And because of that, it should cause us to worship Him because the more we know Him, the more we worship Him. When we hear the word worship, a lot of times we think about singing songs. And let me tell you, if we were created to worship, then we're doing a terrible job if it means singing songs, because we only do that one day a week together for maybe a few minutes. And if that is our dedication and our love towards God, then that is not a healthy relationship. That's not a healthy view of worship. Worship is not just singing songs. Worship is what I've committed my life to. It's what I've given my heart to. That's what worship really is. Worship is all about where my heart is. It's not about singing some songs. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. The reason you wake up in the morning and go to work, the reason that you come to church, the reason that you're trying to move forward in life and progress, the reason that you're sitting here right now, all of this is a part of worship. The decisions we make reveal what we're worshiping in our hearts with our lives because we were created to worship. And when we look at addiction, it's not a disease. It's not something that we can just categorize in the same category as like something as terrible as cancer. Because cancer, a lot of times, we don't really see a lot of signs and things coming. We, we hear a terrible news or a terrible report. And it's something that we want to put in the same bucket and in the same basket as someone who has chosen to live their lives in bondage and enslaved to alcohol or pornography, we want to put those people in the same boat as having a disease. Folks, that just doesn't add up in my book. One of them is a victim and one of them chose. You understanding what I'm saying this morning? And we have to get that clear because our society wants to paint addiction as a disease so we don't have to take responsibility for the repercussions. And we have to realize for us to move forward and for us to be the people of God that he's called us to be, we have to realize what addiction really is. It is a worship disorder. As a matter of fact, when God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, he tells Moses, he says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So in other words, anything that's before God, anything that's above God is an idol. And if we're giving it our time, if we're giving it our attention, most importantly, if we're giving it our heart, then that's us worshiping that idol above God. Because what happens is that we will look to something else to receive something that we feel that we need from something or someone else besides God. And when we do that, we're saying, God, you're not good enough to meet this need. I have to have this to meet that need. And when I say that, I'm saying, God, you're not really the one who supplies all my needs I, because I need this. I have to have money. I have to have power. I have to have everyone thinking I'm a hot shot. I have to have everyone approving of me. I have to have this drink. I have to have this smoke. I have to have this time away from everyone. I have to have this time where maybe I'm addicted to laziness and I'm just doing nothing at all. And it's because I'm worshiping something or someone other than God. People get addicted to their need to be around other people. 
All of a sudden, I need people in my life. I need them all of the time. Maybe you go from relationship to relationship because you always feel like you need someone and you're empty and incomplete without someone. You see, we're looking for people to make us complete. They're never going to be able to do that. Hello, somebody. People are never going to be able to make you complete. Only God can truly make you complete because He's the source of all of this. He's the source. And anything that's worshipped above Him is an idol. And idolatry is the reason that we become addicted. That's the reason. Idolatry. Because we worship idols. And a lot of us, when we hear the word idol, we think about this wooden statue that a bunch of people in loincloths are bowing down to. Om, om. That's what we think about. We don't think about it in our everyday language of addiction. The Bible doesn't use the language of addiction. The Bible instead uses the language of idol worship, of something that I'm putting before God that has my heart, that I'm not truly seeking Him for, that I'm not truly trusting Him for. It's something that I feel I have to have in my life, otherwise I'm incomplete. And then that thing has mastery over me. It all of a sudden begins to dominate and rule my life. And that's the source is idolatry. Idol worship is the root of addiction. And let me show you this in Scripture. In Romans chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you can go there. Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to look at verse 22, but you've got to be quick. So, <laughs> Romans 1 and 22 says this, Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The Bible says that these people began to worship the creation, the creature, rather than the creator. In other words, they began to look to someone else instead of the one who was our creator. They began to say, I need this in my life. I want to worship this. I want to give my life and my heart to this. And because of that, we've all of a sudden elevated whatever it may be that has mastery or power in our lives that we can't seem to break. We've elevated that over God and we have said, I need you. You see, we become addicted to, to, to food, to money, to power, sex, drugs, alcohol, image, laziness, ourselves, comfort, being needed, approval, drama. People get addicted to drama. It's called Facebook. And we get on there and go, mm-hmm, did you see those pictures she put on Facebook? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, Lord, my goodness. I can't believe they're doing that. You know they don't have any money to be able to do that. Oh, Lord, they just spend all kinds of money. You get addicted to some drama and you get on the phone and you get on a little chat thing. Did you see so-and-so's post? And then you see him at church and you're like, hey, how you doing? Oh, you're just so blessed. <laughs> you see, we become addicted to these things. All of this, all the root of it is all idol worship. But here's the thing that idols do to get you to worship them. They lie. Okay? Idols lie so people will worship them. That's what they do. They will lie. Because here's what idols do. They promise, but they do not deliver. Idols will promise to bless, to bring happiness, to bring success, to bring power, to be acceptance. 
And they even compare themselves to God and to heaven. And they will try to even present themselves as being God-like in our eyes. So we will worship them. Here's the thing. The idol puts this out there that, oh, you're stressed out. You're exhausted. You're tired. You're frustrated. You know what you need? You need a drink because that's going stre- that, to help your stress levels just kind of chill out. You need to just relax and have some you time. And then next thing you know, you have another drink. And you have another drink. And you have another drink. And the next thing you know, you don't remember last night. And you wake up worshiping the porcelain throne. The idol didn't tell you about that part. The idol just told you you were going to have a good time. Because what you have to understand is under the bait is always what? A hook. Hook's always under the bait. This is our bait this morning. Butterscotch. (laughs) You see, you got to understand, when that hook is baited, you can't see the hook. And that's the whole point. The enemy, the idol, doesn't want you to see the hook. Just wants you to see the bait. Wants to say, oh, you're going to have such a good time. You're going to have an amazing time. And I promise you, it's going to be like heaven. How many times have idols lied to us and said, oh, when you have our particular brand of alcohol, it's like being on a beach, just escaping from all of the stress of the day. It's like heaven. Oh, you need to have sex with this other person because it'll be like heaven. Oh, you need to try this drug or that drug. It'll be like heaven. You need to just go shopping because when you go shopping, it's just like a little taste of heaven, the feeling you get. You need to try this food or that food because when you eat it, it tastes like heaven. So many idols will compare themselves to God. Idols will compare themselves to heaven. But it's a trap. It's a trap that if we allow it to be our God and we worship it, we'll get hooked. We'll get hooked. And it's hard once you get hooked because, you know, once you get that fish on the line really good, you want to give it a good yank because what do you want to do? You want to set the hook. And here's how the idol sets the hook. The idol sets the hook by promising not only a piece of heaven, not only to be your savior, but to also be your deliverer. Because here's what the idol does. Say you went to a party, you just got wasted or you were alone and you were depressed and so you just decided to just kick back on the all the alcohol and you wanted to just escape your problems because that's what the commercial said, by the way, that I would just be like I was in paradise. But you didn't feel like you were in paradise when you were hugging the porcelain throne. That didn't feel like you were on a beach. It felt like you were on a bed. And you were not feeling as great as it promised. But then the idol comes to you in the morning when you're alone, when you're depressed, when you're full of regret. And it it promises itself as the solution to the way you feel. Because it says, you know, you feel really bad right now. You are really alone. Nobody really cares about you. You know what you need to get over this? You need another drink. The idol promises itself as the savior to the problem that it caused. That's how idols bait you and get you hooked. That's how they set the hook. 
That's how they get you to worship them. That's how they get you addicted because they convince you that you're incomplete without them and then the repercussions that you experience from worshiping them, they say the answer is just a little bit more worship. Just a little bit more worship because I'm still the solution. I'm still here. You may have went shopping and spent more money than what you had in the bank and run up a credit card bill you couldn't pay, but it made you feel good because you worshiped stuff or you worshiped that high of having new things. And then all of a sudden the credit card bill comes in. You can't pay it. And you feel bad. You feel depressed. You feel freaked out. What do you need to do? I just need to go buy something to make myself feel better. The idols lied to you. The idol said, once again, the reason you feel this way is because of me. But guess what? I'm also the answer. I'm your savior. Come let me bless you. Come let me rescue you. It'll be like heaven. You just need to go out and treat yourself because you've been under so much stress lately. Knowing that you can't afford to, so instead of learning to budget and manage what you have and live within your means, you begin to bow down and worship the idol and it has you in control and you never seem to be able to break it and get free. Let me show you this in the book of Proverbs in the seventh chapter. If you've got your Bibles, go there with me this morning. Proverbs chapter 7. This is an example of exactly what we're talking about this morning in the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. Proverbs 7 and verse 4 says this, Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, and I perceived among the youths a young man who was devoid of understanding. In other words, this guy's pretty dumb. I saw a young man who was devoid of understanding. Passing along the street near her corner, he took the path to her house in the twilight in the evening in the black and dark night, and there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside and at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. Check this out. This is what this lady does in verse 13. She caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I've paid my vows, so I came out to meet you. In other words, I'm a good religious girl. I've, I've got my peace offerings ready, so I'm ready to go and to sin so I can make peace with God when I'm done. See, verse 16 says, I've spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. That's the bait. It's the hook. Come. Let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey and he has taken a bag of money with him. And he will come home on the appointed day. So I know when he's coming back. Verse 21, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. And immediately he went after her, the Bible says this, as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost him his life. Now as we see this young man here with this woman, who's obviously a married woman, obviously a woman that's older than him. I don't know how old she was, but the Bible says he was a young man. This was a married woman. 
And she saw this guy, and she went up to him and was very aggressive towards him and began to kiss him and began to tell him about all of the wonderful things that she had prepared for him. I've got my bed is perfumed with all of this wonderful myrrh and cinnamon, and I've got some Egyptian linens, and it's, we can take our fill of love all night long. It's going to be so amazing. It'll be like heaven. See, she was trying to set the hook by putting the bait out there because that's what idols do. They lie. And she was giving him this lie, but he did not know that on the other end that this would actually cost him his life. The Bible says that he was like an ox being led away to the slaughter. Now, if this were to happen in our day and culture, we would say, oh, this poor young man, he is a sex addict. He has a disease. This woman took advantage of him knowing that he had this disease and so she pursued him very aggressively. She's a terrible person and he's a victim. And that's how we would look at that in our modern society. But the fact is, is that this guy had worship in his heart of sex, of lust. And because of that, he put that above God and it ended up costing him more than he was willing to pay because the idol didn't tell him about all of the things that would happen as a result, the idol just said, oh, we're going to have fun. Oh, it's going to be nice. And that's what idols do. They lie because behind every idol is your enemy. Hello, somebody. Amen. Behind every idol is your enemy. Just like a guy who may be addicted to gambling. He's so addicted to gambling that he decides he's going to take the family car and sell it because he has this need to feel like he's worth something because he can win at the casino because the idol has promised him that we pay out good at this casino. Odds are good here. We have loose slots here. And so he is so addicted to it that he takes the family car, sells it, takes the money, goes to the casino to indulge and to worship the idol. What has this guy just done? Anytime you give up something for someone or something else, that's called a sacrifice. A sacrifice is an act of worship. Now, we don't use those terms. We would just say, man, this guy, he's, he's, he's been a bum because he's you know, taking the family car and now he's got to take the bus to work. His wife's got to take the bus to work because of his addiction, because of his idol worship, because of his worship disorder. But the thing is, is that this guy is not a victim. He has made a choice to worship and to sacrifice to his God. To what he has chosen to worship. And it's cost him a lot more than he ever wanted to pay. But the hook was set. Worshiping God alone is what's going to keep us from idols. Worshiping God alone will keep you from idols. Let me show you a scripture in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2. This is interesting because the letter that John wrote that we know as 1 John is filled with all kinds of wonderful truths and all types of great truths. But in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, it's the last thing that John decided to write before he closed this letter. And this is what he says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. He said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. In other words, what he was saying was all of these things that I've written to you about in this letter that you can look through the book of 1 John, he says all of this will be solved if you keep yourself from idols, if you worship God alone. Matter of fact, Jesus echoed something very similar 
when he was approached and said, which of the commandments are the most important? And he said, you need to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. He said, and the second commandment that's important is just like it. He says, actually love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on those two things hinge all of the law and all of the commandments, all the 600 different things that you would try to make a law to try to get me to act right and try to behavior, try to instill behavior modification. All the things that you would try to tack on top of that to try to get people to do to make them good enough. Actually, they'll do every single one of those things if you can just get these two down. And those things are not something you just decide to do. Those are things that have to be in your heart because idol worship comes from the heart and so does worship of God. Amen? Amen. You know, I grew up in church and... I'm grateful for that, so I don't want this to sound negative, but because I was raised in church, I was raised around certain language that I heard growing up. And sometimes, growing up in church, hearing language all of the time of people saying things that sound really spiritual, you can recite those things and not really understand what they mean. You can just say it because you know it's the right thing to say. And I grew up in that environment, so I know a lot of the right things to say in a given circumstance. And so if someone were to come to me and they say, Oh, Pastor, you look down today. What's going on? I could look at them and say, Oh, I've got the joy of the Lord. He's my strength. He's my source. But do I really mean that? Am I really looking to the Lord for my source of strength? Or am I looking for, to something else for my source of strength? Am I looking to something else for my joy? I can give the Sunday school answer all day long. And I can say, oh, God is my source. I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. Hallelujah. Woo! And everybody can say amen and we can high five and walk out of this place defeated and addicted. Because we haven't dealt with the heart. We've just learned something good to say. You can say all of the right things, but God sees through what you say. God looks right at the heart, and He knows what we worship. We can't fool Him. We can't tell Him, oh God, you're my source. He knows if He's your source or not. It's just, are you acknowledging that with your lips and with your heart? Is He really your source of happiness? Is He really your source of strength? Because, let me ask you this, what are you seeking from your idol that you're not seeking from God? What are you seeking from idols that you're not looking for from God? Are you looking for happiness? So you look, I have to have someone else in my life to be happy. Really? Because you just told me God was your source. Is he really your source? Or do you have to have someone else? Are you addicted to this need that you feel that you're somehow incomplete? Or is God enough? We sang a song called Christ is Enough for Me. It's a good song. But it could be also a very empty song. It doesn't come from our heart because we say Christ is enough, but do we live our lives like Christ is enough? Well, it's all in where our heart is and how we worship. Not in here when the lights are dim and the music's on, but in our everyday lives, how we worship, who we really give our lives to because our source of identity, provision, blessing, security, companionship, it all comes from God, not idols of people, not idols of things. Worshiping God is us trusting Him for those things in our lives. Amen.
That's what worship is. Worship is us trusting God for those things in our lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I want to read it. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God. That's your reasonable service. If you have the NIV Bible, it says worship. Maybe there's a few other translations that say that word service as worship as well. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Paul writes to the Romans and says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of worship. Because what he's trying to get us to understand is that what we've been seeking for, what we've been looking for, comes through worshiping God and God alone. Long-term freedom comes through Christ. So the Holy Spirit will create in us a new heart. Because it really is a heart issue. That's really what we're talking about. And before Christ, our heart was what Ezekiel called a heart of stone. A heart that was hard towards God because of sin. Because in our hearts we had rejected God. And we had chosen our own governing over ourselves. We had chosen our own path and our own way and our own will above God's way, God's will, God's path. And God said, because man has hardened his heart, there has to be something that shifts because behavior modification is not going to fix man. Something's got to happen in the heart because you just can't fix the outside. You can't just take that tree that's withering away and dying and take some super glue and begin to glue leaves to it and go, oh, look, it's healthy again. No, because at its root, it's still sick. At its root, it's still dying. At its roots, it still needs new life. And at our roots, we need a new life. And so Ezekiel said that there would come someone, and we know that now as Jesus Christ, who would take out that stony heart and would put in a new soft heart of flesh would give us a, a, a soft heart that's pliable, that's sensitive to the voice and the leading of God, that's sensitive to His Word, that's sensitive to His truth, that would point us to be able to have communion with God again so we could worship Him. That's what Jesus meant when He would say there's coming a time, and even now is, when the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Those who will live their lives worshiping Him. Not just once a week in church, but they will actually commit their lives, their heart, to worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Culture tries to change behavior, but Jesus changes the heart. See, when our heart is changed, then the Word of God helps to reorient our worship disorders. So we can no longer be the slaves to sin because we are free in Christ. The Bible says that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. The Bible says that, that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. 
So the Bible, the Word of God, His truth, His Spirit reorients and redirects our worship disorder to help to point us to the one who created us. So we're no longer worshiping the creation, but we're worshiping the Creator. Amen? Yes. You see, the thing is, is that Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. It's not your efforts that change you. It's the one you worship. It's not you trying to work on yourself to create some type of behavior modification that changes you. What really we're trying to get to is the core. That's really what God wants to get to. Because we can deal with the symptoms all day long. But the symptoms are going to keep repeating themselves over and over and over again until we deal with the core issue. And the core issue is our heart. Not our physical heart, but our character. Who we really are when no one else is looking. Our heart core, where our desires live. You see, that's what Jesus changes. He changes everything because He can change the heart. And it's all in the one you worship. That's what Jesus meant when He said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. Because before Matthew 6 and 33, He said, Don't worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to wear. He said, Don't you know that the lilies of the fields that are so beautiful and you look and go, oh man, these are gorgeous. He said, don't you know that God clothes them in their beauty? Don't you know He does that? Don't you know they have to depend on God for that? I said, and, and if God so clothes those beautiful flowers that are here today and are gone tomorrow, how much more valuable are you? How much more does He love you? How much more does He want to be your source? He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat because don't you see that the ravens, the, even the, the, the small birds that we may see. Don't you know God feeds them? He takes care of all of the animals and they provides for them and has created ways for them to be able to eat. Don't you think that God who cares about birds and animals and, and, and things like that, that he's going to take care of them and be their source? How, how much more does he love you who are his children? who are the ones He created. So don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about all of those things, what you're going to wear. The Bible says, after all those things the Gentiles seek, those people that don't know God, He said, those, that's what they are seeking. He said, but you need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you because God is our source. Amen, somebody. God is our source. He is our provider. He is the God of more than enough. Would you bow your heads this morning? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.